Okay. The Pash is Naso. The Pash is Naso. We'll learn first, we'll uh, learn a few Psukim. The beginning of the sheet. The Psukim at the beginning of the sheet. Right? This is an introduction. This is a nice pasuk. I mean, it's like it's like a longish pasuk, but but actually most of the words are comprehensible, which is handy. So the, 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 there's an introduction to what is coming up, and what's what happened. There's a Yom Kalot Moshe Lakim Mishkan. There is such a day, the day when the Mishkan, when building the Mishkan comes to an end. And since we know that the Mishkan was built Miluim, there were Yemen Miluim taking apart and putting it together. Right, Moshe Rabbeinu did that for. Uh, uh, seven days and the eighth day the Mishkan was built so there's a special implication in beyond Kalot Moshe beyond Kalot Moshe when Moshe finished doing whatever Moshe was doing that made the Mishkan into a Mishkan it's not just that the Mishkan was built of course the Mishkan was not built by Moshe Rabbeinu even though Chazal say that, uh, that the people weren't able to pick it up. They weren't able to lift the pieces together and make a Mishkan, and Moshe Rabbeinu did that. So, this is not just a general statement. We say that Moshe Rabbeinu was the architect, that Moshe Rabbeinu was the chief builder. But there was a part of the building that only Moshe Rabbeinu can, can do. And that building came to Kalot. It ended because Moshe Rabbeinu put it up and took it down and put it up and took it down. That was how Moshe Rabbeinu, that was what Moshe Rabbeinu did uh, to the the Mishkan. Rashi has a different point to make. Rashi says, if you look at the beginning, Rashi says, Kalat Ketiv. The Pasuk says, in the Pasuk it says, or it writes what is written on your sheet, Kalot, Kat, Lamed, Vav, Kaf. But Rashi says, Rashi says, Kuf, Lamed, Tav, Ktiv. Kaf, Lamed, Tav, Ktiv. This happens sometimes. This happens sometimes, that Rashi represents a different version of the written Torah than the version that we have. I mean, Rashi says, Kaf Lametav Ktiv. That's what Rashi says. But that's not what's Ktiv in our Chumash. In our Chumash it says, Kaf Lamed Vav Tav. And the Drashah that Rashi makes, Kaf Lametav, the Drashah that Rashi makes, is Kaf Lametav Ktiv. Yom HaKamata Mishkan Ayu Yisrael Kikala HaNikhneset Lechupa So uh, you could you could wonder about Rashi right? Rashi's Chumash look different than our Chumash do you think that Rashi the Sefer Torah looks different it's very unlikely it's very unlikely even though in this Chumash which is called the Torah Chayim you know this Chumash that's put out by Mosad um, Cook, right they put it out which I just brought because it was the first one that came off the shelf, not because of any other reason, quotes Berliner's edition of Rashi. That's what they, they quote. It goes through this whole question about whether they won manuscripts of this kind or not, the Minchachai. It goes through it. For those of you who are interested in details, this is a good detail to take a look at. But... Even if Rashi, now the point that I would like to make to you, I'll listen in a second, that, that even if Rashi had exactly the same Nusach in the Chumash as we have, Tav, Labed, Vav, Tav, Rashi could still have quoted 
the Chazal that seems to base itself on the word Kaflamitaf with Avatar. You, you understand? Because Rashi is interested in the insight. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the drasha is uh, perfect in the text that we have. It doesn't matter because when Chazal looked at that word, that implied to them an insight which they shared then with the Jewish people. And the insight that they shared was that a special relationship between the Kodesh Baruch and Ab Yisrael was created at the end of the building of the Mishkan. And so Rashi says, that's what Rashi says, that there's a remez in the Pasuk that says that B'nai Yisrael were like a kala, like a bride going into Chapat. Even if there's no remez in the Pasuk. You, you, you understand? Like even if you say, hey, our Pasuk doesn't say that. They say, what difference does it make? Because the insight remains the same. In, in, in other words, it's not that Chazal said it because the word was written one way or the other way. Chazal said it because they thought it was correct. Because that's how they understood the reality of building the Mishkan. Whether they could hang it on something or not is important, but it's not of tremendous importance to us. That's what Rashi teaches us. So this is, I just wanted to make sure that you understood. Now, I guess you could disagree with me if you have, uh, if you're strong-tempered. But don't disagree with me. <laughs> then he goes on and says, Rashi, Talot Moshe v'tzalev v'aliyav v'kol chacham leiv asuot ha-mishkan v'alo ha-katuv v'moshe After all, there were other people involved, but the Pesach says Moshe Rabbeinu v'fishem asar nafsho alav but he was Moshe Nefesh. He Moshe Rabbeinu. The Sirat Nefesh is a very interesting concept. So even though all sorts of people were involved in making the Mishkan, only Moshe Rabbeinu was able to ensure that the Mishkan would be made according to divine demand. And that's called the quality that Moshe Rabbeinu had is called Mesirat Nefesh. Everybody else was an artisan, was a builder, they knew their work, but Moshe Rabbeinu had the Mesirat Nefesh that was necessary in order to get the perfect Mishkan. So that even though even though we know that David Amelech did not really finish building the Beit Hamikdash, but that the Beit Hamikdash was built by mostly by Shlomo, by his son, nevertheless, it's called the House of David. And it's called David's house because David was Moshe Nefesh. Right? Whereas Shlomo Amel is described more like some kind of an ombudsman. He hired people. He paid money. He, he took care of... He built it. But not in the way that David Hamelech built it. So that's something that we could also discuss. But it's not, it's not the point that I was interested in. Let's look at Pasuk Bet. Bet means they came close. They, they are they're motivated to do something. Who's the they? The Siyei Yisrael. People who are called Nisiim. Princes. Rashi Beit Avotam. They are heads of their households. Heim Nisiei Hamatot. They are the princes of the flags, of the matet, right? Some kind of a, a uh, some kind of a staff. Heim hom dim al hapkudim. They are responsible for, they are in charge of, they are the 
directors of those who are under their domain. So, Vayakrivu. Vayakrivu. So, like, this is an event. They were generated, they, they generated their own energy. It doesn't say in the Pasuk that Moshe Rabbeinu told them to do something. But they came to do something on their own. Vayakrivu. Who? The most important people of B'nai Yisrael. The most important people meaning the ones who were in charge. Right? Whoever was in charge other than Moshe Rabbeinu, by a creep. That's what the Pasuk, that's what the Pasuk says. Pasuk Yimu. By a view at Korbanam Lefnei Hashem, Sheish Eglot Tzav, Ushnei Asar Bakar, Agala, Al Shnei Hanesiim, Vishor Lechad, by a creep of Otam, Lefnei Hamishkan. Now what did they bring? Now we know that the Nesiim, the Nesiim brought Korbanot. In fact we know that every day, for X number of days, a different Nasi came and brought Korbanot. And the Korbanot that they brought were explicitly stated in the Torah. What is annoying about this explicit statement in the Torah is that it repeats itself again and again and again. The Nasi of Yehuda, the Nasi of Shimon, the Nasi of Issachar, every Nasi brought korbanot, exactly the same korbanot, and each is stated as the bringer of the same korbanot in the Torah. It doesn't say in the Torah, and all the Nesiyah brought, and then a list. And then one on day one, one on day two. But each day, the Torah takes the trouble to tell us that each of the Nesiyim brought exactly the same thing. But before we get to that problem, let's look again at the Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Vayaviu et korbanam lifnei Hashem. Now, korbanam, that word sounds like the word sacrifice. They, oh, sorry. They brought sacrifices. Right? They brought, they brought sacrifices. So what should come after the sacrifices? The, the sacrifices that they brought. But what is the first thing in the column? The first thing of the things that they brought, sheish eglot tzav. Sheish eglot tzav. Now the word egla certainly sounds like the modern Hebrew word agala. That's what you meant? Uh, what? Ah, you think egel? Egel like a little animal? How about agala? Like a big wagon. <laughs> Right? So Rashi says, and the word Sab is a mystery, right? The word Sab is a mystery? We never heard of that word. So Rashi says, Sheish Eglot Sab, Rashi's ain't Sab, Ela Mechupim. Mechupim. They were covered wagons, like the guys who went out west in the United States. They went in covered wagons. I don't know if they were covered in that way, but they were covered. I mean, it's a fancy wagon. And then he quotes a pasuk in Yeshayahu, B'tzavim u'bradim, Agalot mechusot kruyot tzavim. So Rashi is very clear that the word Agalot means wagons. And that Tzav is a word that describes the kind of wagons that they brought. They brought covered wagons. And I guess, I would imagine, though I don't know anything about it, that covered wagons were better than uncovered wagons. Like if you wanted to buy a Ford, you got an uncovered wagon. If you wanted to buy a Cadillac, you got a covered wagon. Right, so that's what, so they brought six eglot tzav. And then it says, Vayakrivu otam lifnei hamishkan. Vayakrivu, they brought them close, lifnei hamishkan. So now we don't understand. Are they bringing animals? That's all the rest of the list. 
שני עשר בקר, עגלה שני הנשיאים ושעוד אחד בקריבו יותר במשקל. We have some kind of problem figuring out what's happening. Along comes Rashi. And Rashi, of course, could help us out. And Rashi says, ויקריבו אותם לפני המשכן. ויקריבו אותם לפני המשכן. So Rashi says, you know what that means? That they brought them to the Mishkan and they left them there. So what was missing? What's missing? Rashi says it immediately. When you bring somebody a present, it's not a present until they take it. Right? It's not a present until they take it. I mean, idea which we've discussed several times. So by a kriva comes there, Mishkan, Rashi says, Shilokibel Moshe Adam, lo Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know what to do. They're bringing wagons. And Moshe Rabbeinu never heard of wagons. He didn't see that this was like what was supposed to be happening. So what does it say in the Chumash? Pasuk Dalit, Vayom HaShem HaMoshe Leibor, Pasuk Hei, Tachmeita. So you see that the Torah says that Moshe Rabbeinu had a dilemma. Because he didn't know, I mean, it's very nice to get a wagon, but he didn't know what the wagon, what the content, what they need wagons for, what was happening. And so Moshe Rabbeinu said, I don't know, I have no, like, I have no instructions about wagons. So he didn't take them, they put them down, but there was no one to take them. Then HaKadosh Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu, take the wagons. Take the wagons. So Rashi explains, שלא קיבל משה מידם עד שנאמר לו אבל the second wide line עד שנאמר לו מפי המקום אמר רבי נתן מה ראו הנשיאים לתעדיו כאן בתחילה so רבי נתן says okay if that's the story so how come the נשיאים why didn't they clear it with Moshe Rabbeinu why didn't they tell him I said him a chick and say we're bringing Agalot I mean what is this Moshe Rabbeinu is in charge by Ibiot Talot Moshe Rabbeinu Moshe, came <laughs> Everybody understood that Moshe Rabbeinu was in charge. So if you want to bring Adalot to Moshe Rabbeinu to the Mishkan, I imagine that you tell it. You say, "This is Moshe Rabbeinu. This is what we want to do," and you get an answer. Here they did it. Moshe Rabbeinu has a quandary; he doesn't know whether he should accept the Adalot or not. And so Rashi says, "Shaloki bel Moshe miyadam, achenema lo mifiyamakom." Moshe Rabbeinu is isha halacha. And whatever they bring to the Mishkan has to be cleared by heaven. Then Rashi quotes a Medrash. Omar Rabbi Natan. So what reason was there that the Nisim decided at this point where they're supposed to bring all these Korban notes on a daily basis for Chanukat HaMishkan, in order to inaugurate the Mishkan, or to get it going. So why they bring wagons? <coughs> right? Elakacham Ruad Sidim, Yitnadvu, Sibu, Ma, Sheyitnadvu. This is what they said. Let the people bring whatever they bring. Uma Shemechasrin, Anu Mashlinim. And then the Sidim will be shots. And they apparently were quite wealthy. And so they said, you know, the Mishka needs one thing and the other. We'll let, them, we'll let Moshe Rabbeinu make a campaign. And they'll make one of those thermometers, you know, and put it on a sign in front of the shoe. And, you know, people bring what they bring. And at the end, whatever's left, we, the Nisim, promise to give. That was the Nisim. He says... He says, Mashim Chasim, Adam Ashlimin. I'm in the fourth line. Fourth wide line, the second word. Kevan Shira'u, Sheshlimu Tzibur at Akkor. So what happened? The Tzibur was so enthusiastic about giving donations to the Mishkan that they gave everything. They didn't need anything. When they got finished giving, they, the thermometer had gone all the way to the top and even burst forth the top of a little bit. They had enough to build the Mishkan. There was enough gold and silver and tapestry, etc., in order that they should be able to build the Mishkan. So the Nisim said, Ooh, we tricked ourselves. 
We thought that we would find a way to be important and we would give whatever was missing in the donations and we would be declared the saviors of the Mishkan. And look what happened. They gave enough and we don't have to give any more. So they said, So they brought the precious stones that were used in the ephod and in the choshen. Therefore, therefore, Rashi says, So here the Nisim decided that they weren't going to wait for a campaign about Agalot, a campaign that would, that would say, we get up and say, look, we forgot about wagons. We need wagons. So they said, we're bringing the wagons before anybody asks for them, because if we wait until Moshe Rabbeinu asks for the wagons, then who knows, the other people will be in the wagons, there'll be again, there'll be nothing special for us to bring. So according to Rashi, according to Rashi, there's a tension that exists at the time of the building of the Mishkan, a tension that exists between the Nisiyan and the people, and there's no doubt that in terms of the building of the Mishkan, it's the people who are the stars. The people who donate everything that is necessary. I can't help myself. It's like a kind of Barack Obama campaign, right? Where everybody gives a lot of, a little bit of money, but so many people give money that you don't need any more money, right? So that's, uh, uh, that's what happened in the Mishkan. And here all the, 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 the big shots who really wanted to be, you know, plaques and, and give large sums of money, they came to the Mishkan and they were told, we don't need any more money. So they said, we're not going to make that a mistake again. We're not going to make that mistake again and we're going to bring the Agalot. We're going to bring that. Now we don't understand. I mean, Rashi is explaining it to us, but we don't really understand why it is that Moshe Rabbeinu first didn't know if he should accept it, and then he really forgot to tell him, and then God says, Beferush, uh, uh, take the wagons. I mean, what was the issue here? I understand Raju says that, you know, sometimes you want to preempt the campaign, and sometimes you want to come at the end of the campaign and show that you could, you could finish it up. But what was Moshe Rabbeinu's issue? What was the issue that Kodesh Bobo had to say to Moshe Rabbeinu, that Rashi does not explain. I understand what you have not said. But I said it's a, it's a fundraising problem. Like what happens if you have more money than you need? Right, you raised money for a building. And you have more money than you, than you need it. Well, you're not going to give it back, are you? Uh, I remember, okay. I didn't think of that. I thought you, I thought you built another floor. I mean, see, so you build another floor. You build another tower. I mean, you don't give the money back. You say, oh, this is what I really intended. I intended to build the other floor or the other building. But it's hard for us to understand what the issue between the Nisim and Moshe Rabbeinu might have been. So on this sheet, so if you turn the page, there's a very long run time. Yes? Where's he? He's not mentioned? Isn't he mentioned? He says, B'tzala, B'aliyah. No, here, Rashi and Pasigala. We're not talking to here, we're finished with B'tzala. We're only talking about Moshe Rabbein. <laughs> it's only Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay, let's look at the Ramban. Now, this Ramban, the kids in Israel, kids in Israel say Ramban shall kilometer. You know, like it seems to go on, it seems to go on forever. So that you know, that's okay. I mean, the Ramban uh, uh, thought, I think, that you had to do that in order to understand the pasuk. But we're going to kind of skip a little bit and and learn it in uh, in a short way in order that we should sort of like try to get a feeling for where the Ramban stands on this particular issue. So if you look at the beginning of the Ramban, it says, Korbanot, Korban, 
he says the agalot, the wagons, are also called korban. Right? That's what you thought it was. So the Ramban says, okay, the Torah is not trying to trick us, but the Torah does think that we should use the idea that there's a korban, something brought close to the Mishkan for the purpose of the korbanot. The korban Hashem as a possible, we can't go through all these psukim. Korban right? You see it clearly. Bedekabayit means fixing the the mishkan, and korban means a sacrifice. So it's not like a sacrifice goes to bedekabayit, but anything that goes to the beit hamikdash or to the mishkan can be called um, can be called um, korban. Now, line five. Here's the Rambam. He says the Nesiim shaloitachein sheisu halaviim al katev kasher mishkan v'adanim. He says it didn't make sense to the Nesiim that the Leviim would have to carry all this heavy stuff on their backs, right? The karakrashim are the beams, and the adanim are the uh, the heavy weights that the, the beams were put into on which you eventually hang, hung the curtains which made the Mishkan. He says, The Ramban said, they are really very heavy. And they had this idea, the Nesim. They're going to bring wagons. She came there called Nosei Bateha Melachim and here the Ramban comes back to a theme that recurs for him. And that is that malchut, the kingship, the trappings of kingship, can be learned from what goes on in the world around us. That we uh, may not know so much about kings, but other countries, other peoples, are much more connected to the notion of kingship. And we can learn from them. Just as if you look at a king, he has a retinue, and they have people ride on horses, and they have wagons, and they bring all this stuff. He says, that's how it should be. That's what the Nesim thought. And it may also be that they brought these wagons filled with their own korbanot, the korbanot that they were going to bring. And they brought 12 or 6 pairs of oxen pulling these wagons. I mean, if you could imagine these things, it's a, you know, it's a movie, but I'm not sure which movie it is. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then the, the, the Rabban goes on, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, take everything, take the animals, and take the wagons. And they will also be used for the Avodah of Ol Mo'ek. V'achakach l'chohan nesi'im et korbanehem me'al ha'galot, v'ekrivot ha'vodah mishkan. And afterwards the nesi'im, of course, took their sacrifices off of the wagons, and gave them as sacrifices to the mishkan, and at first they thought they would give all the all of the siyim would give all the sacrifices of one day, but Hakadosh Baruch Hu said to them, "No, not one day, but many, many days." So here the Ramban, the Ramban says that there's a there's a logical, I mean, it's kind of, um, it's reasonable. Here, here the Nisim. The Nisim are closest to the trappings of kingship, I mean, the Nisim. So they know about it. I guess they kind of, you know, go to those movies, or they watch, or they read those novels about, you know, kings and empires, and how it is. So they said, well, look, you know, here the Mishkan. The Mishkan is Malchut. The Mishkan has to represent the kingship of God. 
So if the Mishkan represents the kingship of God, so the Levim are the servants who serve the notion of God's kingship. And the way we see that it's done is that there are, there are wagons. And here again the Ramban says, and so HaKadosh Baruch said to them, said to Moshe Rabbeinu, boy that's a good insight. That is a great insight. But the Ramban also, also does not explain to us what the issue was. When the Nisim came and they said, listen, have a few wagons. So what was Moshe Rabbeinu's question? I mean, this is not a difficult psak. This is not something that, uh, uh, that you needed divine revelation to indicate. I mean, so the Levim, the Levim are going to be able to carry the stuff in wagons. Just like the kings and their retainers carry the stuff in wagons. It's, it's convenient, it's efficient, that's the way it has to be. And yet, the Torah says, that Moshe Rabbeinu waited until HaKadosh Baruch Hu says So if you learn the Ramban, you will see that the Ramban fleshes out the story. Says this word is important, and that word is important. The other word, but this problem that we have with the Nisiyan bringing the Azalot is not explained by the Ramban. The Ramban doesn't help us, doesn't bring us any closer to understanding. So before, without looking at the rest of the Ramban, let's look at the Meshilov on page 3. And the Meshilov, as you know, is the Ishbitzer. We've seen the Meshilov in the past. The Ishbitzer has, you know, had the capacity to have interesting insights about things and to look at things kind of a little more carefully. The, 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 the Ishbitzer is the end of the 19th century. I mean, you're talking about and almost contemporaries, right? We, at least I feel that way. <laughs> almost contemporary. So here's the Ishbitzer. This is what the Ishbitzer says. Vayaviu et korbanam nefnei Hashem sheish aglotza v'shnei asar bakar agala shnei nisiim v'shol echad vayakrivu otam l'fnei hamishkan. That's what the Torah says. They brought this and they brought that by a krivu which either means they brought them close to the Mishkan, or as the Ramban also posits, they were all part of the Korbanot. Even the wagons were the wagons that brought the animals to the Mishkan. And since they were the animals, that brought, since they were the wagons that brought the animals, so they also considered Korban. Korban is a word that could be used can be used in that way. Now listen to this. Listen to the information of Ki be'emet hayalahem godel rachmanut al havi'im anus'im Oh? So you know like you have to feel the Ishbitzer a little bit. What do you mean? You know Rachmanut? You know what Rachmanut was? You know what Rachmanut is? Rachmanut, after all, is the divine quality. How so? How so? You know, the Eitzchayim, the first section, the Eitzchayim, which is the book that was written, the collection of the, of the Torah of the Arizal. The first question in the book called the Eitzchayim is why after all, did God create the world? Another way of asking the question is, if God created the world, God must have gotten something out of it. There must have been some advantage to God in creating the world. I mean, how do you just think that God had nothing to do that day and then created the world? The answer the Eitzchayim is, that there was no way for Ribono Shel Olam, for the master of the world, to express a certain trait, and that trait is Rachmanut. Rachmanut meaning 
that you can't be merciful if there is nothing to be merciful about. And so, according to the Arizal, according to the Eitzchal, right, according to the Eitzchal, the reason that the world was created was in order that HaKadosh Baruch Hu should express Rachmanot. Now, any, any uh, minor student of Kabbalah, or I mean also major students, anybody who ever read Sichot of the Lubavitcher Rebbe in whatever language, I can't imagine there's anybody who never read anything that was written down in the name of the Lubavitcher Rebbe since they, they go to great pains to disseminate it. So everybody knows that what happens above happens below. And therefore, if God created the world in order to express mercy, then obviously what's going to happen in the world is that we are going to be granted opportunities, legion opportunities, to be God-like in expressing mercy for one another, for people that we met, that people we don't know. But this quality, this ability that we have to express mercy, Rachmanut, is the ultimate divine quality. And even though the history of Rachmanut in the world was that it came into the world, as far as we know, after the Chet Egel, where HaKadosh Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem Hashem Kel Rachum Vechadon, so you know that that there was a moment of revelation about this idea of Rachmanut instead of Din and so we have this opportunity so along comes the along comes the uh, uh, along comes the, the Ishmael and this is what I think that the Ishmael is saying the Ishmael is saying you know when it came to building the Mishkan there's one thing that Moshe Rabbeinu was unable to inject into the process. And that was because, as Rashi said, remember Rashi? Moshe Rabbeinu got it perfect. That word perfect, when you do it perfectly, when it is exactly as it should be, is a word that excludes Rachmanut. Not that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know about mercy. Not that Moshe Rabbeinu did not beg for mercy and save the Jewish people again and again. But within the context of the builder of the Mishkan, Moshe Rabbeinu's job was precision. That's what, his, that's what he was there for. But Salel, he wouldn't let him move. Not a centimeter, right? All the of. These were people who had to follow the directives of Moshe Rabbeinu precisely. So the Nisiyan looked around and they said, what can we bring to the Mishkan? What can we bring to the Mishkan that Moshe Rabbeinu himself cannot bring? And since he can't bring it, we can't ask him if we should bring it. Because Moshe Rabbeinu, his Rachmanut does not extend to the building of the Mishkan. So the Nesim said, we see an opening for mercy. We are going to rush in because we were not the builders of the Mishkan. As Rashi says, we didn't even give a donation. Right? We didn't even give a donation. By the time our turn came, nobody needed anything. So they were all with Moshe Rabbeinu, except for the Nisiyim, who were not included. And therefore the Ishbitzer said, Ki bemet hayalahem, the second line, Godel Rachmanut al-Halavi'im anosim. So they looked around at the Mishkan, and they saw this opportunity that they could have said. I mean, what would any reasonable person say? Well, sure, they don't take care of it. There must be some regulation about carrying the stuff for the Mishkan. There must be some 
way to do it that, that would make it more reasonable. But they said, no. We see a, a situation that enables us to participate in mercy. It can't be that they should carry such a heavy burden. He says, they really didn't know what to do. On the one hand, there was no tzivuy, there was no clear demand for wagons. On the other hand, they saw an opportunity for mercy. And Moshe Rabbeinu had them all scared. Right, Moshe Rabbeinu had them all scared. When you build a Mishkan, you have to do everything according to the divine directive. And here the Nesim said, mercy. We could be merciful, but we don't know whether we should be merciful. Because you can't be merciful all the time. Like, for example, if Reuben killed Shimon, killed Shimon, and there are two Aiden who said, we know that Reuben killed Shimon. And you ask them questions, and you check into it, and, and so, so there's no point in mercy. There's only din. There are times where there's no mercy. So that even though the Nesim saw an opportunity for mercy, they didn't know if they were saying the right shot in the Mishkan. They were afraid. And so the Nesim said, okay, it's true that these poor Levim are going to work like dogs, schlepping the Mishkan around from one place to another. But maybe, maybe the demands on purity, that the Levim have to be special people, and maybe the special nature of the Levium who carry the Mishkan is enhanced by a physical burden. Because sometimes uh, uh, they say, Sometimes physical oppression creates purity of heart. Everybody knows. That there are times that there are times when a person cannot purify his heart. Until he suffers a little bit. Like not every person who's sitting on a couch and eating falafel can do tshuva. It, it doesn't always work that way. And the rabbi also says, that there are the Gemara says the Rabbah passes the Hashuva, but Yisurin, there Yisurin Shalava, Yisurin Alesed Ava, but Yisurin are part, it is affliction, is often part of the process of of Shuva. So the Nesim had a conflict. What do you think? They didn't know whether they should rush in and bring mercy into the Mishkan or whether they were denying the demand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu placed on the Levim that they should suffer a little in exchange for the tremendous benefit of bearing the burden of HaKadosh Baruch He says, Bulai, ain't HaRachmanot HaZeh I think it's um, a Mo'il now, sometimes everybody knows it's in a Mishnah Purkeya vote that if you are merciful to the wicked, you sometimes cause even more damage than you would have ever imagined that there are people to whom the notion of mercy is meaningless and if it's applied to them then it becomes a disaster for the entire world and that's why the Pesach says two of them brought an Agala 
Yaskim Hashem Yitbarachimo. Because if two people are learning Torah and they both agree about the halacha, then the Meshivah says, HaKadosh Baruch will surely agree with them. Kemoshe Katuvu Vedat Tzadikim Yechaltzu. Hainu, right? Tzadikim Tzadikim Yechaltzu, that the Tzadikim together will be able to save themselves. How so? Tasher Yaskimu Shtei Talmidei Chachamim when there are two scholars who agree about a matter. And so he says that the Nisi'im invented due process on the Torah level. They said, this taka we don't know. We don't know whether we should apply Rachamim or whether God wants us not to apply Rachamim. So what did they do? They learned the Sugya. They learned and they were confident that whatever they agreed about, HaKadosh Baruch would also agree about. When they saw that they were agreeing about the Rachmanut issue, they understood that this must be God's will. Right, the Nabi says clearly that sometimes when there is agreement amongst great scholars, you know that it is God who uh, instigated the agreement. And so, Moshe Rabbeinu, how does he fit into this story? According to the Meshirah, Moshe Rabbeinu looked around. He saw the bringing Agalot. Right? And he didn't tell them to bring Agalot. And they say to him, but we learned the parsha, we studied the Torah, and we came to an agreement that we should bring agalot. We should bring agalot. And Moshe said, "What? They know the Torah, and I don't know the Torah. How could that be?" And so Hakadosh Baruch said. This is not going to be Torah of Nistar, the kind of Torah that is developed orally, even though the Tzayim did it, but it's going to be converted into Torah Shebichtav. And that conversion is done by Moshe Rabbeinu. Kach meitam, hainu shelo haya rak midaat atzman. It was not just that they learned the parsha, and that they came to the conclusion that Rachamin had to be inserted into the Mishkan, but that became part of the Torah Shebichtav. And so, of course, what the Meshiloch is trying to tell us is that, that the, the, uh, the Torah is what people think that the Torah is. If there are great Talmidei Chachomim, and if they agree together about what the issue should be, So you see, two things from the Meshivah. You see the idea that the Torah, right, that, that learning and understanding and, and looking at the reality can itself solve the problem. It's a suffix and we can solve the problem. And the second thing that we see is that on that level, where the problem is being solved, there's really no difference between the Torah Shabbat Peh and the Torah Shabbat the Torah Shabbat And maybe that brings us back to 
Biyom Kalot Moshe. That Rashi said, there's a Torah Shabal Peh, that the word is really Kaf Lamed Taf. And we say that there's a different Torah Shebichtav, Kaf Lamed Vav Taf. So Rashi says, if you understand, if you understand the Torah Shabal Peh, Kaf Lamed Taf, it's as though you've inserted it in to the Torah Shebichtav. And so that even though it looks like the Torah Shebichtav says Kaf Lamed Vav Taf, really there's another Torah Shebichtav which says Kaf Lamed Taf. And even though we don't see it, and even though we can't kind of, uh, uh, we can't uh, project it on the wall, nevertheless it's there because the Chachamim said it was there. And so the Meshilach teaches us an important thing. And we know, we know that. That the issue, that Moshe Rabbeinu created an issue. Because all the information that Moshe Rabbeinu received was passed over to B'nai Yisrael perfectly. And again, that word perfect is problematic. Because B'nai Yisrael must have understood that after Moshe Rabbeinu died, there would be a potential tragedy in Am Yisrael. People would say, Where, who can we ask? Who, who can tell us what Moshe Rabbeinu taught us? Who can give us the information with the perfection that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to give this information? And so the answer, the answer is in the Torah in various places that it's possible, and that's the act of divine Rachmanut from heaven to earth, that people who study the Torah diligently and who are committed to what the Torah, to discovery, what the Torah wants of us, the Rachmanut from heaven is that they'll really find out. And the hint is that the Nesim knew something. And that Moshe Rabbeinu, according to Ishmael, said, what's going on here? How could they know something that I don't know? And the answer is, they can. Because the Torah had to be the source of knowledge and wisdom for Am Yisrael even after the death of Moshe Rabbeinu. And that was made possible because in the Torah itself there are many hints of this uh, potential. And it's called Rachamim. It's called Rachamim. And Rachamim means there is a Torah and we know what God wants even after Moshe Rabbeinu is no longer leading Am Yisrael. Have a good Shabbos.